Good morning, Mission View. It's good to be together as God's church for us to just worship Him with all of our hearts. We're going to be taking a look at uh, Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So uh, we'll get to that in a few moments, but if you can turn to your Bibles, we'll just kind of earmark that right now, and we'll be getting to that in a minute. But today our topic is our first love. Now, I don't know if you remember when you met the person that was going to be your spouse, for those of you that are married, and what it was like for that first love encounter. I don't know if it was love at first sight. I don't know if you remember the zim zam zoom that went up your spine when you just, you know, you caught eyes and you, you just knew that there was chemistry there. When we had our first love, it made a difference in our life because we started doing things that we didn't normally do. You know, you started going to those sporting events. Normally, you don't like sports, but you went to those sporting events because you wanted to be with him or you wanted to be with her. Or you really didn't like cycling, but all of a sudden, you had this epiphany that you love cycling if, as long as you could be with her or be with him. And so you started doing things that you normally didn't do because you wanted to be with that individual. Love has a way of changing us, especially when it's an infatuation love. And then when it grows to be a deeper love, it changes us even more. Now, I know for myself, love has completely changed my life to the person I've been married to for the last 30 years. Now, you'll have to forgive me if any of you have heard this story already, but we're talking about first love, so I have to tell you how I met my first love, my wife, Leanne. See, we were seven, I was 17, she was 16. That does sound like a song, but I, I was 17. And at that time, I had long blonde hair. It wasn't quite a mullet, but it was very close to it. But in 80s, it was big hair, okay? So it was long flowing hair, and you're saying, well, what's this matter, what your hairstyle is? Well, it helps you set the context to this entrance into Lee's life. You see, Leanne was riding her bike one day out in the neighborhood, and she was just minding her own business, and I was coming home from my paper route on my little red Plagato moped riding at a top speed of 22.5 miles per hour. I had black hands from delivering a bunch of papers. I had a green army jacket on and my blonde hair was just flowing in the wind. Are you picturing it? And so here I am and I, I, I am coming up the road. Now, this is where I, it's my version of it. This is how I remember things. Um, Lee was at the top of Clinton Hill, and she was riding down. And out of the corner of her eye, she saw this flash of light. I think it was a glimpse of my long, blowing fl uh, hair flowing in the wind. And she saw me from a distance. And she started thinking to herself, how can I capture this man, this hunk of a man who's six foot two, 155 pounds? How can I capture his attention? So her cavewoman-like instincts kicked in, and she started thinking, okay, I will just fall off my bike. 
And so that's exactly what she did. She deliberately fell off her bike. She had scrapes and bruises, but it was all worth it because she timed it impeccably. And I just so happened was passing by, and I stopped, and I got off my hog. <laughs> and I walked over to her, and the light was gleaming down. She was down on the ground, and all she could see is this ray of sunshine. And I stepped into the light, and I handed my hand, and I helped her up. I said, can I help you? And this is where I start to wake up from my little dream world uh, because it didn't really happen like that at all. But that's my version of it. Uh, the reality is if you knew me back then, I was 155 pounds. I was very underdeveloped, meaning all skin and bones. I was a backward, shy, introverted individual at this time of my life, and there is no way in the world I would have courage to approach a beautiful young lady at all. But because it just happened to happen, or it happened right in front of me, I did stop, and I thought I would help her up, and I didn't even think for a moment that she would even be interested in the likes of me because I really didn't have any, a very high view of myself at all. So she went on her way pushing her bike because the chain had come off, and I went on my way not giving it another thought. Now, a couple weeks later, I was looking for a buddy of mine, and we were going to go to some Christian roller skating party, and he was on his paper route, which was on Clinton. And I was at the top of the hill overlooking the hill trying to see if he was coming up, and lo and behold, I just happened to be in front of Lee's house. And so she saw me out the window, so she decided that she would come out and thank me for stopping. Now, as she boldly approached me, which I would have never done that to her, but she boldly approached me, she, we started talking. And I started sharing my faith, because the one thing that was true of me at that time was that I was a brand new believer, and I loved Jesus more than anything, and I wanted to tell people that I would have contact with about what Christ is mean, means to me. And so I started to share, and of course she shared that she was a Christian, and that she went to the chapel, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And all of a sudden, a light switch went on in my mind. Hey, this could possibly be something. No, she wouldn't be interested in me. And so we started toying with this idea. Well, a few days later, all of a sudden, lo and behold, Leanne started riding her bike on my paper route. I thought, what a chance thing this is. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I started going to Kroger's to buy my batteries and buy my deli meats because she worked in the deli at that time. And I just happened to be there. And Finally, I got the courage after some time to ask her out to an Amy Grant concert. This dates you, okay? An Amy Grant concert, My Father's Eyes, was the album of that year. So that was a long time ago. Of course, she said she couldn't. She had to work, but she said she would take a rain check. And of course, me being a backwards person, my next date that I invited her to go to was at a place called The Ark. Does anybody remember it? It used to be around here, if you're familiar with it. It's an old place, that they, and they were showing a movie about the walking Bible. It was like taking your date to a documentary. It was horrible, but it was our first date. Love changes us. 
I know for me, the more that I dated Lee, and eventually, by the way, I did give her a kiss, but actually uh, it was her giving me the kiss because I was so afraid that she would reject me. But she gave me a kiss, and, and it started changing who I was as an individual. The more I fell in love with this woman, it started changing me externally. All of a sudden, I found it necessary to take a bath on a regular basis. All of a sudden, I decided that putting deodorant was kind of a good thing and spraying stuff on me. And, and my mom always gave me hand-me-down jeans that had patches on the front of them. Do you remember that, the iron-on patches? Well, I decided that that wasn't very cool, so I needed to change my wardrobe a little bit. So it started changing me. I started doing things I never did before, like spending money. I never spent money on a girl. Um, I started writing notes. I didn't do that. I started taking long walks with her and really being interested in long walks. I started becoming bold and saying mushy things that... I normally wouldn't say because love changes us as an individual. I know for you, you all have your love stories. And some of us have love stories that have awesome, they're, they're continuing. There's no ending in sight because you're in now leaving a legacy. You might be a parent, you might be a grandparent, and that love story continues. And there are some that have had tragic endings to their love stories, endings that you didn't want to have happen. And yet there are new love stories around the corner. Last week, Bill Johnson shared his story. If you didn't see it, it's on our website. It is one that brought me to tears. I know it brought a lot of other people because he shared about different tragic endings to love that he thought was to be forever. And it didn't last. But God had redemption. He had grace in his life. You see, when we talk about love stories with one another, we, what we've learned so far, and we learned last week, is that our love and human relationship, it actually parallels something. It parallels the love relationship that God wants to have with us. Just as we like to talk with each other and communicate, we want that with God as well. Last week when we talked about marriage, we said that marriage is not just a man and a woman. It is more than just a man and a woman uniting together. It is a picture of the gospel. Our marriage is meant to be a picture of God's love for the church and the church's love for God. And so that is what we are to be, this picture of the gospel. And so last week, since we focused on the human relationship, this week what I want is for us to focus on the divine relationship. Your relationship with the divine. My relationship with the divine. And here's my question. Do you remember your first love with God? Do you remember what it's like? Is your first love with God still going strong? Is it still fresh? Is it still a fresh driving passion to being the motivation to serving God? Or has your first love become stale and cold? 
I want us to evaluate that today because it's vitally important as we go into the fall. Next week, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about working for God. And if we're going to work for God as the body of Christ, we need to do it from a good place, a motivation out of love for our Savior. Like human relationships, we have to work at our relationship with God. D.A. Carson says this. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Now think about that. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven efforts, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delighting in the Lord. It just doesn't happen that way. There is, in a sense, a centrifugal force that works against our human relationships, against our marriages, against our relationships with our kids or our friends. It's something that pulls us apart. It's the enemy that wants to work and to divide and to steal and to destroy relationships. And just as there is an enemy that works on us and, and pulls us apart and wants to pull us apart, there is an enemy that wants to pull you apart from your relationship with God. Because if this relationship is not where it needs to be, then these relationships will not be where they need to be either. The Apostle Paul says, talks about this struggle in Ephesians 6. He says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. What I want to pray this morning is that we would be encouraged to have that love relationship with God for us to evaluate that in our own lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to see what being in love with you is all about. For some of us, we fell in love with you years ago. And maybe we have allowed things just to coast, just as we have in our earthly relationships. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would spark within us a deep passion for you. And, Lord, we know that when we have a deep passion for you, it will affect the way that we work for you. It will affect the kind of persistency we have in this life. It will affect the way that we t pay attention to our doctrinal purity and our moral purity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use your spirit this morning and your word, and would you be the one that speaks to our hearts? And we pray that in Christ's name. As you turn to Revelations chapter 2, let me give you some context of the passage. Uh, the, Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle John is the one who wrote this prophetic book. In chapters 2 and 3, he sends a message. He writes a message that God lays on his heart to seven different churches. And we're going to be looking at the first letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church. But know this, that when he wrote these letters, they were meant to do several things. I think the first and primary thing they were to do were to address the churches at that time that were in Asia Minor. These were seven clusters of churches that were in Asia Minor, and each of them had a different type of message that God had to send to them, and so he wanted to speak to them. 
But also, I believe that they were meant to be types of churches that would last throughout the ages that we can relate with. If you were to take a quiet time throughout this week and look at every one of those letters, you would see the different things that God addresses with these churches. We're going to look at the first one. But I also believe that God meant this to be on a personal application. He meant for us to look at these and evaluate in our own life what we should be. So let's take a look at what he says. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now, he's using symbolic language, and the word angel literally means messenger, which I believe was the pastor of the church. That was the pastor. So he says, To the angel or the pastor of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars. God's the one who holds seven stars in his hands. Seven stars represented the seven churches that he wanted to address. Who walks among the seven golden lampstand. What you need to know about a lampstand is that God called the church to be a light. And so he considers the church kind of a lampstand light for the world. This is what he says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, as, as John is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, he is writing it to a church that's seated in a critical city. The, the Ephesus was a seaport city, and it was the capital of Asia Minor. And the reason why this was so important, that this church was so important in this city, is because of its influence. You see, as a seaport city, it brought materials in and out, and it was distributed to many different places, which means that materials went in and out from that place, but also people with the materials. And so if this church could have an impact for the gospel on the individuals that were going in and out of that city, it could have a dramatic effect on the widespread spread of the gospel which is what God wanted. So this church was profoundly important. If you were to read about this church in its early beginnings, you would go back to Acts chapter 19, and you would see that in its humble beginnings, it had a profound impact. The gospel started to make idol sales, the, the selling of actual physical idols, plummet because people were being transformed in that city. I'd encourage you to read Acts 19. No doubt God wanted this to continue for this church. And so what he's doing is he's writing different encouraging messages to them, and he has one rebuke to them. 
So we're going to look at that as our tool of evalu evaluation for ourselves. So the first encouraging message, which I believe should be a message to us, is that I want you to be hard workers. Take a look at verse 2. He says, I know your work, your toil. Stop there. The word for work or toil means to work to the point of exhaustion. God had taken notice that this church had worked hard in the midst of a very difficult culture that they were living in. Now, we don't know all the ways that they were working, but I would imagine it's somewhat the same as what we are trying to do here today. In the church, we are trying to make disciples because Jesus said, go and what? Make disciples. That's what our job is. And so they were working hard at that, but they were working hard at engaging their culture from without. And so I believe that they were working hard. Certainly, from this, we receive the encouragement that we need to work hard as well for God. Now, God deserves our best, and what he wants is for us to advance God's work. We know in the secular world that many people work at things to build and advance things that really don't have any eternal impact. If I build a home, that home will eventually decay and fall down or will burn up. If I build a bridge, it will be spectacular at first, but someday it will fail. It will crumble. These are all things that are accomplishments of man. And if you're a bridge builder or a house builder, there's no insult here. Just know that that's not the eternal impact. The eternal impact is those that you work with that you have an impact for the gospel. And that's the point here is that they were busy about doing the things that matter. Now, here's a, a kind of a, an application that I think that we need to have as a church. Whatever we do, we should work at it with all of our hearts. We should toil at it with it with, as if we're serving God. When we show up late, when we show up unprepared, or we don't show up for the task that we have been signed up for, that we have committed, what it tells us is it's just a task. It's not something unto God. And so the encouragement to the body of Christ is that whatever we do, if it's working with children, if it's working with youth, if it's ushering, if it's a setup, if it's teardown, whatever we do for God, make sure you do it as if God is your boss. Colossians 3 tells us this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, I think hard work, it should be an indication that we love God. So that's the first thing he encourages them with. Here's the second thing. He says, you have been persistent. He says in verse 2, I know your patient endurance. See, God knew that this church faced many difficulties. He knew, he, he knew that because that's what every church faced. Do you realize that almost every book that Paul writes in the New Testament is addressing a problem in a church? Do you realize since the beginning of the church, there's always issues that you have to deal with in the church? That's just the nature of the body of Christ. But he says, you have been patient. You have endured. And I think that there's different ways that they were patient. I think they were patient from within. They were patient from without. We know in Ephesians, Ephesians was written when they were a baby church. It says in chapter 4, Paul admonishes, Hey, I want you to bear with one another in love. 
Now, why do you tell somebody to bear with somebody? It means that you're not all getting along. You're not all liking each other. And what I want you to do under the, the banner of Christ is I want you to bear with one another, understand one another. There's internal things that you always work through. And that's what he, the, this church was all about. But we also see in Ephesians 4 that there was this feudal thinking and darkness of the culture that constantly wanted to creep in within the church. And what Paul, what Apostle John does here is he says in this letter, they've done a great job. For almost 40 years, they have been per persistent in their endurance. They had a long track record of working for God and loving God and being persistent. I think all of us can see the, the encouragement that we should take from this, that we need to be unified as a church from within. We need to know that there's always going to be pressures from without. And again, the drive behind our persistency individually is going to be our passion for God. So the second thing that they had was persistency, and that should be an indication that we love God. Hard work, persistency. Here's the third thing. Third encouragement was that they were doctrinally pure. Take a look at verse 2. It says this, I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Skip down to verse 6. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know much about the Nicolaitans. All we know is that they were uh, false teachers that were presenting things that went contrary to what the Word of God stated. Now, one of the pressures that the church then and the church will face now is this constant pressure of conforming to new ideas that come along the way. They'll come finely packaged. They'll come looking chic and they'll look really nice. But they're, it's, it might even be culturally acceptable. But these are new ideas that sometimes go contrary to the Word of God. Last week I played a clip from Rob Bell who shared his perspective on marriage. Now his perspective, if examined against the Scriptures, went directly against the Scriptures, and yet he's speaking to the church that you need to do this. You need to go a different direction. The old way isn't working. And so what we need to realize is that there will always be that pressure to take us away from what the Word of God tells us to do. Likewise, what we need to do is see our encouragement to be doctrinally pure individually and as a church. Do you realize that individually you have a responsibility to know your faith? This is one of the reasons why we come to church. This is one of the reasons why we do if gatherings or we do men of iron. This is one of the reasons why we do community groups so that we can know our faith better because it's our responsibility. And when we know our faith better, we need to teach our faith to other people. It's our job as leaders of, a church, of the church to make sure that we're doing what the scriptures say. There is a huge amount of pressure in our culture, in our world, to be, say things that are palatable to the majority of people. But that's not what God calls us to do. He says this, uh, Paul says it in Timothy. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, 
encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The word of God is what doesn't change. It's what we use to correct what is going on in the world. So what we see here is doctrinal purity. That should be a sign that we love God. Now here's the fourth thing that he mentions. He mentions that they were morally pure in the midst of a dark, dark, and difficult world. This is what he says in verse 3. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now that might sound like persistency, but I think there's more to the culture that we need to understand. You see, this church was in the midst of a culture that was in competition with a temple uh, called Artemis, where they worshipped a sex goddess. And in this sex goddess, part of the temple worship was that men that went to the temple needed to have sex with a temple prostitute in order for there to be a blessing upon their family. Now, can you imagine what life was like around the dinner table in that family? Honey, I, I just got to go to the temple. I got to do my duty um, and have sex with the temple prostitute in order for the goddess to bless us. This was the sex-crazed culture that the Ephesian church was in the midst of. And what God is commending them for is that you have not grown weary. You haven't given in to the temptations of the culture. Now, in our world today, we don't have the temple Artemis. We don't have sex goddesses. But my friends, man, we have a sex-crazed culture. And there is always, always temptations to lure us away from what is right and what is true. And what God is saying to us in our love relationship, yes, I want you to be morally pure. That should be a sign that we are in love with God. Now at this point in the message, God has said, you have been working hard. You have been persistent. You have been doctrinally pure. You have been morally pure. This is about the time that you would hear angelic, or you'd hear the angels singing, well done, good and faithful servants. You would kind of think that that would be the, the next thing that is said in the message within this book. But it's not. This is what he says. This is the encouragement that he gives. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the work in a sense. Return to the work that you did at first. If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, to, for God to remove the lampstand is saying, I am going to remove your influence, your presence. My spirit will no longer abide in that ministry. My friends, we see churches all over the place that are just cathedrals. They're just places in which people reside. They go there, but the Spirit of God has not been there in a very long time. And this is the reason why God removed his lampstand. And so what God is saying is, this is what I want you to do. Now, as I look at this, a startling reality starts to shake my world. Because if I understand this, I can be, I can be working hard for God. 
I can be as persistent as anything. I can be doctrinally pure. I can be morally pure. And I can still be displeasing God. That's a hard reality. For myself, I've been serving God for so long. And as I just, as I read this, as I thought about this, as I mulled on this, I'm thinking, is it possible that I can do all these things in serving God and not in love with Him? And the answer is yes. It's yes. It's very possible. You ever hear the song, We Are Prone to Wonder? What do we wonder from? We wonder from our first love. And my friends, the appeal that is here, if there's any encouragement that I, that I want you to take home, it's simply this. Be in love with Jesus. Be in love with Jesus with all of your hearts. When we look at the scriptures, we see it all over the place. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. This was something that a Jewish person had to memorize early on. Love the Lord your God. That's what it's about. John 14, 21, Jesus said, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, I believe what Jesus is telling us to do, what God is telling us to do in this letter as an admonition to this church is that he wants an exclusive love. I've shared this illustration before, but I'll do it again. How many of you men, if you came home and you looked at your wife in, their, in her eyes and you said, baby, I want you to know you are in the top three women that I love. How would that go for you? It wouldn't go well at all in my household, and it wouldn't go well. Why? Because my wife deserves an exclusive love with me and me only, not with any other man. And she doesn't want me to have an, a love from, with any other person. My love is exclusive for my wife and my wife to me. Our God is the same way, and our God tells us he is a jealous God. He will not share us with anyone else. And yet we put God two, three, four in our priority. So what should we do with this? There's three words I want to highlight to think about this and bring this home. Now I want you to know that Steve Marshall processes these things all through the week. Last night I was wrestling with these. I wrestled in and out of sleep, wrestling with the concepts. And I got up early because I felt like I needed to do 
what I'm about to tell you to do. So please understand, I don't stand up here and say, oh, I got it all together and you got to do this. No, no, this is what I had to wrestle through. And the first thing I'm to do is I'm to remember. He says, remember, repent, return. Those are the three R's. Remember. I want you to think about what remember is about. Remember means to contemplate. It means to be still and to think about my life. We're told in the Psalms that we should be still and know that God is God. We are told in 2 Corinthians that we are to be still and to examine our life to see if we be in the faith. For me, this means sometimes less activity and more stillness before God. Guys, it's very difficult for God to pour water into a moving cup. It makes a mess. And yet our life, we are so busy. We're going to this and we're going to that and we're trying to do this and that. And we're never still before God. What happened to solitude? What happened to just listening to God? And what he is saying here is that he wants us to be still before him. The reality is this. I may not be the best Sunday school teacher. I might not be the best community group leader. I might not be the best elder or deacon. I might not be the best pastor or church planner. I might not be the person, best person setting up and tearing down. I might not be the best of a lot of different things. But if we are in love with Jesus, what God delights in doing is taking the few fish and loaves that we bring to him and he multiplies it. But it has to come from a place of love with God. Remember. Step one. Step two. Repent. See, when we sit down and remember, as I sat down and I remembered things, and I started making priorities and seeing the different out of priority things in my life, I started seeing areas that I needed to repent in. In my journal, I started writing those things down. See, that's what happens when we're still enough and the Spirit of God starts to speak to our hearts. We start hearing from God and He says, no, this is out of balance. This is what I want to see in your life. I want to help conform you into my image and this is what I want to do. The fact is that anything that replaces our love for Jesus is an idol. And God wants to weed those idols out of our life. You've heard it said that what's valuable gets your time. I believe that God is so valuable that he should consume our day and should consume the order of our events. How's your time with God? How's your time with just talking with him? There's a book I read recently, God in My Everything by Ken Shimatsu. Incredible book I would recommend to you if you're trying to get this on track. But this is part of repentance, seeing where we're out of balance and saying, God, I want you to deal with me. And then the final thing is return. He says in the passage, do the work you did at first. What God wants is for us to serve him out of a place of love. And so when we are serving him, when we are doing things for him, it is not because the pastor told me to do it or I had to sign up because there was just a need. It's because we love God. In this final song that we're going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. I want this to be a time of evaluation, but honestly, the altar call may not be here. 
The altar call might be in your living room when you get alone with God and you remember. But maybe there's something the Lord's putting on your heart. Give that over to God. Why this message? Why does God want this message for Mission View right now? Because everything we do is built on this simple question. Am I holding on to my first love with God? I want you to think about that as we sing this song.